Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everybody, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now on this edition of the podcast, we are doing a list, but it's not a top 10, it's a top 5. It's our 5 greatest DJR slash DJR Tim Penske race cars over the last 40 years. Will Dale's with me, I've got my top 5, you've got your top 5, I've got a funny feeling... We will not agree on much today. I think you might be right there. And we're pretty well versed across these cars at the moment, aren't we? Just a little, just a little. When you write a 400-page book between us about these cars, you tend to have them pretty much at the front of your memory <laughs> bank, and that's what we've been crazy enough to do. Uh, we want to just, at the start of this podcast, say a big thank you to all of those who've ordered a copy of the new book, DJR The Cars, 1980-2019, our limited edition hardcover release, just 3,000 copies, all signed by Dick Johnson. At this current rate, I thought we'd sell out by Father's Day. Right now, as it looks, I don't reckon we're going to make it to the end of May without selling out of these (laughs) books. It's been um, an amazing response. Some of the messages on social media and via email and direct contact that we've had from people in the industry and the like has been Astounding, fantastic, really, and it makes it all worthwhile. It, absolutely, it's really nice. What because at the end of these sort of big projects, you you're pretty drained. Like a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of concentration and focus goes into putting something like this together. Um, it's it's nice to see it finally get into people's hands and how everyone's reacting to it. It's been really nice to see. Our rough count would say that there's roughly eleven hundred or so photos. Included in the 400 pages, there's mm. somewhere in the vicinity of 130 odd thousand words. It's a, it's an epic to put together. Uh, they take a while. These sorts of projects they require a lot of mental application, a lot of funding. Uh, we've had great support from a bunch of partners. In particular, uh, we've got to thank Repco and Metro Ford, who are the the naming rights backer of the book, and a few other partners who got involved as well, who have uh, had great history with DJR and DJR Team Penske. But if you haven't got yourself a copy, jump on our bookstore, uh, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Uh, if we've run out of stock when you hear this podcast, uh, head to our great mates at Authentic Collectibles. If they've run out, National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama. Which, by the way, is reopening this week. In fact, today, as we drop this podcast from 9am, Wednesday, June the 3rd, the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama is back open. Of course, there's various measures in place for social distancing and the like, and they're recording contact information and details. I've already done this in cafes and places here in Melbourne this week. Uh, it's kind of like you know filling in the visitor sheet when you go in and have a meeting at a company. You just <laughs> got to get used to doing it every day, everywhere you go. I haven't had to do it yet. Oh, well. Uh, I'm here one day a week <laughs> and I'm at the house the rest of it. <laughs> you won't have to worry about it. Uh, if you want to check about the museum's hours, though, uh, head on their website, museumsbathurst.com.au. But it's great news. They're, they're good friends of ours, the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama. How did we get onto that again? How did we get onto that? Oh, again? I never know. I never know. What we are on though is our podcast. We were talking. No, we're talking about the book. Yes, we're talking about if, if we've <laughs> oh, run yes, out, that thing, if authentics yes. run out. Yeah, it's only consumed the last fifteen months of our life. It's such an uh, easy thing to forget so quickly. Uh, if we've run out of stock and authentic have run out of stock, head to the museum or give them a call or jump on their website. They do have 
uh, stock and supply. And other than that, there's a bunch of stockists around the country. Uh, and in New Zealand as well. Oh, and in New Zealand. Yeah, thepits.co.nz for those in uh, Kiwi land who are listening to us who don't want to buy a book from Australia and let it wait. Uh, for four weeks, either end. Yeah. <laughs> on the in, quarantine, yes. in quarantine. In <laughs> quarantine. Uh, anyway, five greatest DJR, DJR, Team Penske cars. Let's count down from five to one. At number five, Will, what have you got? I have the first XE Falcon, the car that was Red Rue and then became Green's Tough and then became Green's Stuffed. Yes. Okay. Well, that's interesting because a great car that won how many races? By my count, it nearly won one. <laughs> Nearly won two. Sorry, nearly won two races. So zero. Zero, yes. Okay. Well, my car at number five is the replacement car, the Green Stuff 1984 Palmer Tube Mills XE. That won how many races? One race. Yes. But it won one championship. It's true. And when you think of the green car, that's the car. It's the championship winning car. It's the last Falcon to win Australian Touring Car Championship for nearly 10 years. It's an iconic car from the era of Group C. The other thing didn't win anything, and all it's famous for is being obliterated in the trees. But the second car wasn't quite as good as the first one. Well, it didn't handle quite as well. It took them a long time to get back on top, and this is something I found out through the research of this book. By the time of Bathurst 83, they had that original XE really, really handling very well. And when they rebuilt, when they built the new car for the start of 84, it just wasn't quite the same. They weren't quite able to get it to that same level. I would have been interested had Brock done the full 84 Touring Car Championship to see how that played out because he missed I think, two rounds because he was doing sports cars in um, Europe with Silverstone as a preparation for the Le Mans 24-hour. But nevertheless, uh, Johnson, I think he was on the podium for all rounds yep. that year. Short championship, wasn't like there was 20 rounds or anything, but... I think number five, it's got to be the Green Stuff XC, but you want the Green Stuff. So at least we're a bit similar exactly, There's a natural yes. connection there. Yeah. Uh, number four, I've gone for Chassis 04. It's DJR TP04. It's Scott McLaughlin's championship winning 2018 Falcon that, of course, he also raced in 2017 that he won 17 races in. That was a very, very good car. I, and yeah. I know Car of the Future spec cars don't strike at the heartstrings of our followers from a historical point of view, but it's the achievements that that car had, the kid behind the wheel who we all got to know and love him in the Volvo, but he became the real deal when he jumped into that car and he mm. nearly won his first race straight up in it oh, yeah. at the Adelaide 500 until the late little Aaron Van Gisbergen got by. But we saw enough to go, oh, it's on here. They've arrived. The kid and Penske, this is going to be a good thing. And, of course, it's the car that he – heartbreakingly didn't win the championship in, but then it's the car that he won the title in the following year. So it's got so much storytelling around it, even though at its core it's a car of the future chassis and they are all virtually identical with some minor little changes between them all. But did you find a way to squeeze this car into P4? Where What have you got at P4? I had this as an honourable mention because I've tried to throughout – there are quite a few cars you could consider as being great cars to come out of DJR team. Depends Penske. what you deem great. Well, as. it's true. But it's hard to argue against TP04 because, as you said, won a lot of races, won a championship, a lot of good memories with that car. But I've tried to balance the eras a bit. You so. sound like you've applied logic to this, Will. Well, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to have some sort of thought process. Okay. All right. So, there, so I do have a Car of the Future era car in my list. 
but it's not that one. But that is definitely an honourable mention. It's one of my favourite cars. If it was a favourite cars list, this would have made my uh, top yes, five. But, but it's, it's not. greatest cars list. So what's at number four on your list? So I actually have DJR EB5, the 94 Bathurst winner, 95 championship winner. At four? At four. What? Yeah. Oh, no, it's higher in my list. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want it that low, but the cars that I've placed ahead of it. Well, you'd want to have good reasoning for pushing that car down the list. So as great a car as that is, a Bathurst winner and a championship winner, mm. the cars that I've put ahead of it have achievements that are that place it slightly ahead. How do you get beaten if you've won a championship with John Bow in 95 and the same car won Bathurst the year before? Well, and we'll a find pile out. of other races too. I'm staggered to find out, but I'm looking Stay forward tuned. to seeing what you've got. Uh, number three on our list of the greatest DJR and DJR Team Penske race cars of all time. Well, actually, of the last 40 years. So basically, you should explain that this is why in the book we've covered it from 1980 to 2019 inclusive. That's 40 years. I've already had some people on social say, no, it's 39 Count 1980 <laughs> is the first year. 1981 is the second year. Mm. If you count right through, 2019 is the 40th year. Therefore, there are 40 years covered. But DJR as an entity wasn't created until after the rock incident with the donations that fl- flowed in um, into 1981 and building the new car. But we've included the 1980 uh, rock car because it starts it all. DJR yeah. doesn't happen how it has, unless that happened. Exactly. So it would be very weird not to have that car in there. Well, it was built by all the same people, run by all the same people, sponsored by most of the same people. It's, it's, yeah. It's the logical start. Uh, Number three for me is the Bathurst winning, nearly two-time Bathurst winning, nearly three-time Bathurst winning, in fact, Sierra 5. Ooh. So this is the car that John Bow and Dick Johnson won Bathurst in 1989 in. Mm-hmm. The same car finished second in 1990 with Jeff Allen and Paul Radisich and Dick famously tried to squeeze his bum in the car at the end and the seat wouldn't move. Mm-hmm. And then the car finished second, same chassis, in 1992 with Dick Johnson and John Bauer in the rain-shortened race that they claim or no doubt will go to their graves thinking that uh, they should have won and had it kept going, they probably would have won. So have a look. I mean, it's a Bathurst winner. It did a pile of other bits and pieces too. But to be a winner, a runner-up, Twice to fall. I mean, no car in the history of Bathurst has won three individual no, really. cars. There's only two cars that have won two, and none of them are Fords. So I feel that that car is the best of the Sierras. And we always talk about the DJR Sierras being the best in the world. So that's my reason why it's number three. See, I also have a Sierra at number three, and I have the car that proved the DJR Sierras are the best in the world. DJR Sierra 3, the car that they took to Silverstone in 88, the car that qualified on pole and were, did so by beating the Andy Rouse cars of Great Britain and the Rudy Dick's Eggenberg cars. personal friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gave him a character reference in his yeah. office in England. Which you can hear in our podcast with Dick yeah. that we recorded last <laughs> yes. year and, a pole, and don't, don't play it with young children. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, I've chosen that car based on the fact that it it's the one international achiever on this list. It went out and it proved against against probably expected form by the people on the continent that the fastest Sierras in the world came out of Australia. And, and that-, that car won the 88 Australian Touring Car Championship. Didn't win Bathurst, although you could argue maybe it would have won Bathurst in 1988 had it not been had it not been for Tom Walkinshaw's protest. Had they had time to replace the practice engine that had done Silverstone and a couple of other things and 
it not blown up in the first hour of the race, but woulda, shoulda, coulda. Nonetheless, it's a, it's it's in my list for the greatest car. Okay, you're you're entitled to your to your viewpoint. I think it's good that the Sierras have found a mix in the top five because. Mm. Looking at my list, and I'm guessing your list, we haven't swapped lists, by the way, before this, so we didn't know what each is picked, but it's a fairly good representation across Group C, Falcony era, Group A, Sierra era, and V8 Supercar era as well. I it illustrates the sort of longevity of success that this team has had. For all its ups and downs, it's achieved success in a very wide range of eras of Australian touring car racing. Now- the car I've got at number two is the car that we've already discussed, and that's EB5, the 94 Bathurst-winning Falcon that John Bowden used to win the Touring Car Championship in 95. And, of course, it famously had the big accident at Phillip Island in 1996 that rode it off. And we've, we've written on our website before the stories about what JB thinks of that car and Dick as well in that it, it could have been revived. It could have been mm. saved just as a museum piece more than anything, but... In the end, it was it was crushed. But Bow won a lot of races in that car, particularly also um, at the non-championship races at Adelaide Grand Prix and the Gold Coast Indie event as well. So, but pro- primarily that was a John Bow car. Yeah. I mean, it's a seventeen number seventeen Bathurst winner. But it otherwise, apart from that race, John Bow drove it in every other race it ever did. So it's one of the cool things about drilling down and having a look at the histories of these cars. I had no idea about that till I went until and you had stop a look. and look yeah. at it. Yeah, exactly. That Dick only did. I think it was off the top of my head, 65 racing laps in that car. His two stints at Bathurst. <laughs> Worked out pretty two good, or three stints. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd quite happily just do 65 laps in one race car in a couple of years and win a Bathurst out of it. That'd be that'd be very handy. Uh, that's my two. What's your two? My number two is True Blue 2, the the car that won the 81 Touring Car Championship, the, one, the car that won the 82 Touring Car Championship, and the car that won the 1981 James Hardy 1000. So two-time championship winner. And not enough Bathurst to get winner. number one. So this car had, for quite a long time, it had the most touring car championships race wins of any car that DJR team Pen- DJR or DJR Team Penske had built. Mm. So the car number one on my list is the car that now holds that record. Hang on a minute. So no, carry on. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay. DJR, TP06, the car that in the space of about 10 months won 18 races. Yeah. A Bathurst 1000, a lot of pole positions, and laid the groundwork for Scott McLaughlin to win the Touring Car Champion, the V8s, the, the, the Supercars the Champion. The yeah, Championship. Yeah. It's Supercars. You it all know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that the greatest car in the team's 40-year history- the car that won the most. Is the car that won the most, and that's what you're basing it on. It's all you can ever do. Win the race that you're in. It's a Bathurst winner. It's a championship winner. It broke the record for most race wins in a season for Scott McLaughlin and versus it, Craig Lowndes. And in an era where, with everything that's been done to try and achieve parity, I know a lot of people have different views on how that how that went last year, <laughs> you can only beat the cars that were there. And there was Under the rules that you under the rules to run you can, under. Exactly. And there were five other Mustangs out there, and that combination of that car, that driver, and that team were a step ahead of the rest of them. It's hard to fault your logic on deeming it the greatest from the point of view of its winning record. I'm sure we'll hear a lot of people You're going to cop a lot of mail, my friend, because- For a car of the future era car, and look, I have no leaning either way. I don't think 
the current era cars get enough credit. Hmm. Uh, there are a lot of failings in them from a cost point of view, hmm. but we've seen from, and particularly with your car that you've listed as the greatest, from a safety point of view, had Scott McLaughlin had that shunt 10 or 15 years ago? Ugh, yeah. Uh, we might not be having the same sort of conversation about that, our love for that car. Yeah. But the fact is we've seen some mammoth accidents in uh, those this era of car since 2013, and drivers have got away. Relatively it. unscathed. Relatively unscathed. So I take your point, but there's no way in hell I can make <laughs> it that that car, I didn't even put it in my top five. I felt it was too new, too recent. It is special. It's a Bathurst winning car. There's two, and I wouldn't be affected by the negativity that surrounds that Bathurst victory because it won the race. Mm. Whether set the, the fastest the, official lap of the weekend too. Whether the number twelve car did something that helped it or didn't help it, and there will be one-eyed f- fans from either side here arguing the point passionately either way. But I just, I don't think enough time has passed for that those achievements to marinate long enough to get into my top five. So my, my number one's True Blue 2 hmm. for the reasons that you rattled off of its achievements. I think it is it is the car that made Dick Johnson. It is the car that repaid the faith that the money went into that was raised that he felt he had to perform in that car and repay the people by way of results. And he did it. And he did it in 81 to, so he won his first national championship hmm. in the in the ding dong fight with Brock at Lakeside, which sadly there's not the full race of that around. There's some highlights vision that was on some news programs or some sport programs at the time, and it's even that's just good enough to see. You get <laughs> you get a grip of how good it was. Yeah, um, eighty two is a bit of a, a quagmire year because Brock was having his fights with Cams and vcv hss commodore oh, all that's yeah. brock specials and all that stuff and um doing a deal with cams to be effectively removed for a, from a pile of results but bathurst 81 i mean it's the it is this has to be we've seen motorsport docos and it's a good topic right now considering that we've seen Absolutely. some good docos of sport in the last couple of months we've seen obviously there was the brilliant center which is probably the the benchmark for all that stuff. There was a Wayne Gardner biopic. We've seen. There's a really good Fangio one on. Yeah, I haven't Netflix a chance, to, haven't would a chance recommend. to watch that yet. But the Dick Johnson story has been well told, mm. but I feel like a doco version has got so many legs because of that story, that car, that era. I mean, if you just say the words "true blue," yeah, I don't think John Williams. I think Dick Johnson. I think that <laughs> yeah. car. I think that era. That. Muscle car, Group C, bit rough, bit ready compared to what would follow. But to me, that's the greatest car because of the position of the launch pad of what it did for the bloke. And it put him in a position where we are writing books about his car histories and he's so well celebrated over the years for, for all the things that followed. And it's because of it's because of that car, in my mind. Had this been... Top five most important cars in DJR, oh, DJR Team Penske. Oh, you are you? I'd put that as number one. How many if, championships did McLaughlin's Mustang win? The only one it could have won. Because he shunted it and record. wrote it off. 100% record. They're still record. pulling bits out of the bloody balconies on the Gold Coast. From that <laughs> car. Now, we're not making fun, by the way, of that because no, something did get there, but I meant that from the terms all... of he did a pretty big number. Although yeah. that car is being, well, 
it's re- put back together. Repaired. Well, it's been pulled apart to be put back together. Yeah. So they they actually pulled all the panels off it after Bathurst. So the panels that were on the car at the Gold Coast weren't the Bathurst panels. No. But the car, the chassis is now at Pace Innovations on the Gold Coast and has had the rear, which was heavily damaged. I mean, it was kinked right the way through. Mm. Um, and in typical Penske fashion, they want it done. Concours, Concours properly. Yeah. So that, that's being replaced. But all of the original Bathurst panels- um, I imagine they'd have the engine as well. Yeah, transaxle. Yeah. Uh, they know the part numbers of all the bits and pieces that were in it. So they do have the ability to reassemble the Bathurst winning car. And I think a lot of people will say, well, at what point does it not be the Bathurst winner if they've cut part of that rear chassis away? It's the nature of the modern race car chassis and supercars that it's a bit grandpa's axe in a yeah. way. But the medal that Scotty was sitting in is the medal that he was sitting in on the day with Alex Premer in um, 2019 in October to win the big race and then obviously ended up <laughs> two weeks later. Sitting on his side. Yeah, yeah, sitting on his side parked on the Gold Coast uh, without a parking ticket at least. But uh, uh, we've covered that story on our website in recent times. I've got to say too, uh, if you follow our and listen to our podcast but you might not be across our, our website and our socials, v8sleuth.com.au started in 2012, I think it was from memory, as primarily a place for me to park all the chassis histories of all the cars as a subscriber service, primarily aimed at um, collectors and car restorers, but it's gone nuts. We've just come off our biggest ever month in May. We don't write about the current sport in terms of being a news site like our our mates at supercars.com or Speed Cafe or Fox Sports or the new race.news or anywhere that or motorsport.com where they're they're writing current news. Occasionally we'll be a bit current in something that's happening with a current car or a product that's been released, uh, books uh, <laughs> or other things that are going on. There are some other book projects going on that we're not producing but we'll um we'll reveal all in the next uh, couple of months. Mm. Um but to have the numbers that we had in May, more users than ever before, more page views, more everything. I know all websites say these things, but I just want to say a quick thank you to our, our listeners and our readers because we're nothing without them. And I think it's our passion for the sport and the type of content that we do that you can't really get a lot of this stuff anywhere else. No. That's really struck a chord. So on behalf of us all, thank you, everybody, for clicking and reading and consuming and buying the books and buying the prints and um, following all the things that we do, it's actually until you you do a book like we've done or the content we've done over the last month, and you get some nice notes, you forget how many people are out there who love the sport and love the history and and what we do. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to all those people. I mean, pop quiz. Do you know the biggest story in May on the v8sleuth.com.au website? No, I actually don't. <laughs> Shall we quickly do our top five stories on the V8 Sleuth site for the month of May? Uh, coming in at number five, what happened to the 1973 Alan Moffat Ford Falcon Bathurst winner? Mm. That came at number five. That got a lot of love, a lot of interest. Probably been a well-told tale over the years, but there's just a lot of people who might not have read it, might not have known. Number four, the Holden Racing Team winning supercar that finds a new home, Jack Perkins. Mm. Bought one of the old HRT VF Commodores that he won on the Gold Coast in. Number three, what happened to the Erebus Mercedes-Benz supercars? That went off. Yeah. People love the Mercs. Oh, yeah. They're not racing anymore. They barely won anything, but they were unique and people really connect with them, I guess. They were cool cars when they came into the sport. Like they were, Especially if you were there in the first half of 2013 when they were running the flat plane oh, crank. How good. What a noise. Yeah, that was cool. Hey, number two. 
the mm-hmm. Smash Supercar Reborn as a sim. Yeah, that's cool. One of the ex-Brad yeah. Jones Racing Car of the Future chassis that uh, uh, Tony Woodward, one of their engineers, has been turning into a sim for the last little while, and we uh, finally got him to take some photos of where it was up to. And it's not finished yet, but it's it's well on the way. Number one. Am I having a swing at what it might be? A Swedish swing, maybe? <laughs> yes. Yes, it's it's what happened to the Volvos, isn't it? What happened to the Volvo V8 supercars? Our biggest news story for the month of May uh, by far, by a long way, by about 25% over P2. Oofed. So, yeah, there you go. I just yeah. thought that was a bit interesting. But uh, thank you again, everyone, for, for getting on board. Um, I wanted to quickly talk while we were here about our DJR book, and we're nearly sold out, so I don't need to do as much of a sell job anyway <laughs> yeah. because they're nearly all gone at this rate. But the getting pro- quick. <laughs> the, yeah, the process, yeah. though, of putting this book together has been, in essence, 15, 16, even 17 months, but it's probably- There's that number again. Yeah, it is. Um, longer in terms of correlating some of the information, what car went where, keeping it in the file, acquiring the photo archives that I have over the years. It's a long, long process, and I know that you're cooked. I'm cooked. It's yeah. been a long effort to to put this together with a few hurdles along the way and some delays as well. Um, but what did you want to do more of in the book? Because I should say, there's a reason why your name's listed first on the cover, because you wrote more of this book than I did. You wrote the – I was going to say the lion's share, but it's probably an appropriate <laughs> term for a, <laughs> the a DJ. Yeah. yeah, it's not the – yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't work. But you know what I mean. Uh, but, but what's the thing you want to do more of? But equally, you did all that work of tracking all the cars, and that's that underpins oh, that, a lot that of That helped this. us get us going. I mean, yeah. we didn't have to find too many things that we didn't know where they were, but um, – what did you want to do more of? That I mean, what, because we just couldn't fit it in from a space point of view or a time point of view? Or- well, that's it. And it's, it would have been nice to have done a bit more on, I guess, the technical side of the cars, especially the earlier generation cars. I mean, once you get to Car of the Future, as we touched on earlier, mm, there, much to there's about, a lot it? of similarity. And mm. I think we actually did talk probably as much as we could, especially given their current cars and, of course- a lot of the stuff that you could talk about technical-wise with Car of the Future cars is still relevant and people don't really want to talk about mm. them. Um, it would have been nice to fit more about of sort of technical details, but if you do it for one, you've got to try and do it for all of them and then all of a sudden you've got a 1,000-page book. And Yeah, 400 is enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's always limitations. There's always boundary lines on what you can and can't do, whether it's from space or time restrictions are the two ones that will will always get to us. And, and, and just people's memories as well. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, Do you remember what you had for breakfast on the 9th of January this year? I don't really eat breakfast, so probably nothing. <laughs> well, lunch then maybe. No, no chance. No idea. Yeah. And yet here we are expecting some of our um, – legends of the sport and industry personalities and identities to remember something that they did, whether they were working on a car or driving a car or yeah. whatever they were doing um, 23 and a half years ago on this day. But surely you should remember what you did. Well, how would you remember unless it was written down? And I do know that over the years there have been different regimes involved at DJR and some of the paperwork and some of the historical material has been has gone. It's been turfed out. They've cleaned it up. They've cleaned up the workshop or they've cleaned up an office or they've done whatever. And there could have been some stuff in there that, that might have helped with a book like this. But that was actually one of the elements that helped us a lot with the HRT book. Not so much for knowing the information, but for validating and underlining that we were right mm. in terms of which car was which. Because a lot of the Holden Racing Team records live on um, with a contact of ours who has many of those cars, in fact, mm. who is uh, a quite well-known uh, supercar owner 
of note. Yeah, good dude. Mm, good dude. Good dude. Um, so I think the other thing, though, that I, I would love to do more on the afterlife of the cars, where they went after they were at DJR. But then you find yourself in a, a never-ending maze of, uh, you know, some of these cars may have had five, six, seven, eight owners in the aftermath, but then there's always a couple of owners that they're not listed in the logbook or yeah. they're not alive anymore or they're not contactable or the nothing case. happened with the car in yeah. their period of owning it, so there's nothing to really talk about or write about. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to cover off all that, but I know that's one of the things about car histories that our fans love is to know where things end up at the end, but it's always hard to give you every step of the way as to where they were, and if we did, you know, every photo we could find of every car, we'd still um, be here. We'd still be going, <laughs> and we'd never get a, a book published. But and then over the course, like, over the course of producing the book, some of the cars changed hands. Yeah, which so at some point you have to, you have to say, well, okay, this is this is where it stops. This is where we need to stop writing the book. Yeah, and and that's that's always one of the considerations about doing these sorts of things is. It will never be perfect. No. There is no doubt a mistake or two or three or four or maybe sadly six or seven is there. Who knows? Um, Please don't tell us. Please don't tell us if you find anything wrong with the book. Just keep it to yourselves. Yeah. Know that we had, if we've misspelt something or there's been something slipped through to the Wicket Keeper, that we'll have got a hundred odd thousand things right and maybe (laughs) one or two wrong. And as a percentage, I'll take that percentage every day of the week. And that if anybody wants to do a better book than ours... Have a crack. Yeah. Stick your money where your mouth is. Stick your time where your money is. I'd, I'd and more, be more than it. happy to read that book <laughs> and buy that book. <laughs> I would too because yeah. I know how much it would be pretty good. creating yeah. the one we did. So, yeah. uh, And the other thing I think that along the way, there's so many people who have been involved in building those cars and running them and racing them. You just can't speak to everybody. You kind of got to narrow it down to a core group of people. And there might be some other cracking stories out there and technical insight but even if we're taking the time to speak to those people, you still wouldn't be able to jam it in the book because you don't have enough pages or or room. That was the, that was probably one of the things that stood out through the early part of writing the book is just how you think you've got a lot of space to write stuff, but then you think, oh, there's 47 cars to fit in. <laughs> uh, um, you run out of space really quickly. Yeah, yeah. What's um what's the DJR car that you would want to have if you could tuck one away in the dale family garage what are you having are you picking number one from your list because at the moment you could probably push it in there and it wouldn't take up much room Uh, i think i'd have a um, hard time getting my hands on that car (laughs) um to be honest it actually would probably be djr3 djr5 you are are hooked on that sierra aren't you it's the one that i sort of fell in love with djr and like started following dick johnson on the basis of watching him win in that car so it's got that Sort of sentimental attachment. Would you restore it to red coat number forty-one livery? Probably, yeah. Hey, would you take it back to the UK to Silverstone to a historic <laughs> event to really jam it up them? Yeah, I'd have to jump the start to get that sort of margin <laughs> that Dick had at the start of that race, though. Hanger straight's not quite as hanger as it once was. Nah, but uh, no, it's been a great project. We thoroughly love doing it, and we've been working really hard on a range of books and. We just wanted to give you, the the listener, an insight into how it's all come together and what's been involved. We've had um, great help 
from Dick Johnson himself. We spent an afternoon with him uh, in his office last year, which um, was fantastic, which we created a podcast out of, but we also got a lot of material that's gone into the book that wasn't in the podcast. Ryan's story's been a, invaluable, a, a phenomenal yeah. um, friend and supporter of this project uh, right from the get-go and um, ha- has he helped engage with a lot of the team's partners to get involved in the book and uh, I know he's he's very happy with the, the end result. I mean, you've spent time with John Bow, with Ross Stone. I spent some time with Stephen Johnson. Um, there's been all sorts of little bits along the way, all sorts of people with all sorts of photos. We've run photos from fans, from yeah. professional photographers, from our own archives, from Dick's archives. Uh, Talking over the phone to current car owners, meeting current car owners, Um, people like Chris Bowden, whose family has quite a few of the DJR cars now. They've been incredibly helpful and very generous with their time. There's so many. I mean, again, you'd be here all day trying to list them all and and name them all. And now that this project is complete, uh, what's next for us? I mean, we, we, we actually have some projects in the pipeline, we have a Holden book. So for all those people who are thinking, "Come on, you've just had thirty-five minutes of Ford chat. Give us some, <laughs> give us some Holden chat." Well, it's there got Dick Hol- Johnson in it. Yeah, new book. Uh, and there are Holdens in this DJR yeah, book. In that's the very right. Front. And there are Dick Johnson Holdens in the Holden book. Yes. So, uh, racing the line is the book we're talking about. We're working on it at the moment. It's an illustrated history of Holden in Australian motorsport and world motorsport, actually, mm. because there's some some overseas content in there as well. Uh, Four hundred pages, hardcover. It's a primarily a photography book, but very chunky, insightful, informative captions that we're we're working our way through. I mean, we celebrate not just all the the obvious Holdens of Bathurst winners and touring car champions, but all the eras of of supercars and touring cars, rallying and sports sedan racing and drag racing and what else is there? Proddy cars, twelve hour round Australia trials, celebrity races, <laughs> Calibras, and- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gemini's, all sorts of things. Gemini's are in there? Yeah. yeah. No, no Isuzu's, though. Just one Chimera, I think. Yeah, we've got to put that one in. Yeah. Which Chimera is it? You can put your answers on the back of a postcard to uh, <laughs> tell us which one you think. That That's going to be a book that we print in Australia, so we will receive that book far quicker than if we print it offshore. It's going to cost us more money, but we feel it's really important to support local industry and to also get it in your hands faster because we um, don't want those who've pre-ordered the book to have to wait as long. So that'll be coming up very, very soon in the next month or two. Uh, Our Bathurst 12-hour going global book of every car of every year, the 12-hour GT era, uh, is with the printers offshore at the moment. So that's a project that will take some time to come back. That was already locked in. But I think everyone, I've started seeing the emails coming through which book do you do next of the teams? Triple Eight, Perkins, Gibson, uh, second edition of HRT. Do you do a team? Do you do a team? Do you do a series of cars? Do you do the Holden Dealer team? Do you do Alan Moffat Racing? Do you do a group of bath- like the cars? Bathurst the one winners. Bathurst, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many possibilities and we've had so many suggestions and there's so many things that we can put together, but we, we really love doing the book projects. They they do take a lot of time and um, they do drag on sometimes because it's easy to get delayed while we're doing other things in our world and we're desperately trying to, to get through them. But um, I, I probably didn't think it was a lot of fun when we were doing the sub-editing process, no. <laughs> but they, they are honestly a lot of 
a lot of fun and really really enjoyable to put together. Yeah, we hope that everybody's enjoyed having a, a read over the last couple of weeks since you've you've got your copies in your hand. If you don't have a copy of our new book, DJR The Cars, you can jump on our website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. There's a range of other prints and posters and magazines and books there as well, and there'll be more to come in the future. So just to recap, before we finish, our top five greatest DJR slash DJRTP cars over the last 40 years, at number one, I've gone the True Blue XD number two. That's the replacement car that won Bathurst in the championships. At number two, it's EB5, the 94 Bathurst winner and 95 championship winner. At number three, it's the 89 Bathurst winning Sierra. At number four, it's the Scotty McLaughlin championship winning Falcon FGX from 2018. And at number five, it is Dick Johnson's Greens Tough Palmer Tube Mills XC84 championship winner. We did not agree on a single one in a single slot in the top five. No, there was some overlap, but um, not the same ca- same models, not the same cars. So my top five, number one, DJR TP06, the car that won last year's Bathurst 1000 and laid the groundwork for Scott McLaughlin to win last year's Supercars Championship, has the winning record of any chassis to come out of DJR or DJR Team Penske. Number two, True Blue 2, as you said, the car that start- launched Dick Johnson and sort of established him as a touring car front runner. Number three, DJR3, the Sierra that they took to the UK and showed everyone how to make a fast Sierra. Number four, DJR EB5, the 94 Bathurst winner. And number five, XE1, the car that ended up in the trees. So we agree to disagree with our five greatest <laughs> DJR slash DJR race cars of all time. Uh, that's it for our current edition, this one of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timkin. Again, a special reminder to the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama Bathurst from today, Wednesday, June 3, is open. For further details, jump on their website, museumsbathurst.com.au. Big thank you again to our mates at Timken, the world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. On behalf of Will Dale, I'm Aaron Noonan. Thank you for listening. We'll join you next time with another episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken. Our next episode, a classic car. You won't want to miss it. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.